Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the executive pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySelfBand.com. We're working our way through the uh, Christmas story as told in Matthew chapter 2. And uh, so last week we looked at the first 11 verses of Matthew 2. We looked at the wise men. And, uh, you know, one of the things that just blows me away so much about the, the Christmas story and, and the wise men and what we were looking at last week is uh, it's so incredible, the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God in that story is incredible. God writes, uh, he, he writes the message in the sky, then he sends the, the, the wise men even to Herod's door. I mean, he tells his enemies what he's going to do, and they still can't stop him. I mean, he puts it in the Bible, Herod asks the religious leaders, and uh, he puts it in the Bible, Herod asks the religious leaders, where's the Messiah going to be born? And it's been written there for hundreds of years. Herod knows where the baby's going to be born. It's been written in the sky. He said, people come to his doorstep. He still can't stop the plans of God. You know, sometimes I think it's got to be pretty frustrating to be Satan sometimes when you're fighting against God, eh? I mean, that's sovereignty. I mean, sometimes, and you know, the sovereignty of God works its way out in different in different ways, and different methods. Sometimes the sovereignty of God works its way out in, in massive things, you know, like the plagues of Egypt in the Exodus. There's these massive plagues. Sometimes it works its way out in armies fighting, in hurricanes and stuff like that. And then sometimes the sovereignty of God works its way out. God takes a mouse and puts the mouse in the lion's den and then dares the lion to try and eat the mouse. And that's a little bit what the Christmas story is. He takes... Joseph and Mary, who are living in Nazareth, which is, I mean, Herod could reach them there, but it's further away. And he just says, no, you know what? I don't want the Messiah born there. It's too far. I want to bring him right onto Herod's porch, and then I want to tell Herod about it. And it's still, he's not going to be able to stop it. And it's an incredible, incredible story. And so the question is now, in the rest of the story, is that's the sovereignty of God, completely fearless, completely confident, the question now is, how is he going to save the mouse? He's going to put the mouse on a back porch there, Herod's back porch, Bethlehem. It's only five miles away from Herod's palace in Jerusalem. But now the question is, how is he going to work out his sovereignty, right? How is he going to, how is he going to keep the mouse out of the lion's teeth? And so we keep reading where we left off last week, verse 12, and being warned and reading. Well, why don't we just pray first? That's, that's always a good idea. Lord Jesus... Um, we thank you for coming to earth. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for this opportunity to come here and worship. And we thank you for your sovereignty that we can absolutely, it's a bedrock foundation, cornerstone for our confidence that you are in control of all things. And so we thank you for that and we pray that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 12, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So these guys go to bed. Now, and you have to think, again, we have to get into the story. It's so familiar for us that it's easy to just glaze over details and you just run through it and you're done and you have it engaged with it in your heart. But you have to remember, these wise men have just finished worshiping Jesus. They've traveled hundreds of miles. We don't know how long it took them, but it will have been a dangerous journey. It will have been a grueling journey. And they're following the star. It's taken faith. They rejoice exceedingly when they finally find the place. They come into the house they kneel, they actually, the, the baby they've been, you know, watching for, 
for many years in the sky, and now they've been traveling for who knows how long, long, probably many weeks, to finally see him. They're finally there. They bow before him. They give him gold and frankincense and myrrh. They kneel before him, and they worship, and they go to bed. It's a spiritual high, right? It's a spiritual high. They have no idea, and this is the thing. This is, this is just how life works. They go to bed on a spiritual high. You know, they fulfilled their, you know, their dream, this thing they've been watching for for many years in the sky, and they have no idea the monster, the spiritual monster, the evil that is lurking at their doorstep. Physically in the form of Herod, who's going to try and destroy the baby. Spiritually in the form of Satan. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities of this air. And they have no idea of the evil, the malevolent evil that is lurking, waiting to rise up. And so they go to bed peacefully, right? And, and again, the mouse is right there. The lion has the mouth open. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna bite. I mean, this should be easy for Herod to catch him now. The wise men have no idea. They're completely innocent of what's going on. And here the sovereignty of God intervenes. And just in the nick of time, just in the nick of time, I mean, this is the thing with God. He sees all things in his sovereignty. He sees everything. He sees Herod's plans. He sees the things that Herod thinks in his heart. He sees the plans that Satan makes in his, you know, in his boardroom with his head demons. He sees all of those plans, and he's a thousand steps ahead of all of them. And just in the nick of time, it's the voice of God to the, to, uh, to the three wise men, Guys, you got to get out of here. And all that's left for them is just to get up and obey. The old hymn, trust and obey. See, the voice of God is the key. The sovereignty of God, you say, how's it going to work? Sometimes it's with the hurricanes and the plagues and the parting of the sea. And sometimes it's the mouse in the lion's den. And all it is, it's, that, it's the whisper, it's a vision, it's a dream. The voice of God coming and leading that mouse through the troubled waters. But we can trust, this is the beautiful thing, this is the amazing thing, if we're listening for his voice. I mean, this story is so relevant for us here today. You know, sometimes I have prayer times where I'm thanking the Lord, and I'm praying, and I've got my prayer list, and I've, I'm doing this more and more the older I get. Uh, I, I say to the Lord, you know, Lord, I've got this whole list of things I'm praying for right now. And then I think of, there's, you know, but there's probably a hundred things out there. If I knew about them, I would just be freaked right out. I'd be praying like crazy. I don't even know about them. I'm praying about this. But there's probably a hundred other things out there right now that I could be praying about that are super pressing that I don't even know about. But thanks to you, thanks to you, I can trust in you. I know that you're taking care of these things and I'm listening. So the moment, that's why I'm pressing in close. This is one of my motivations. This should be one of all of our motivations why we press in close to Jesus, why we want to keep an open heart, why we want to keep an open ear is because you don't even know the things you don't know. But if you're open to Jesus, and it's not hard, this isn't about being neurotic, this isn't about every day you get up and it's like, oh Lord, what are the horrible evil traps that the devil has laid for me today and I'm, am I going to die today? It's, it's not about that at all. It's about trusting him. And if your heart's open, the only people in this Christmas story who don't hear, the religious leaders and, and, and Herod, the only ones who don't hear are the ones with hard hearts. Everyone who has a good heart, whether it be sh the shepherds, whether it be Mary and Joseph, 
whether it be the wise men, anybody who has an open heart, it's not about technique. You're not going to miss the voice of God. When he wants to speak to you, he'll speak to you. But the key is, do you have an open listening heart? If you have an open listening heart, you can trust that God will lead you through. He sees your whole future. He sees all the devil's plans. He sees the things that are coming to your family, to your kids, whatever it is. And he can lead you through the troubled shoals. That's the sovereignty of God. Sometimes you feel like a mouse and you feel like you have no idea and you're confused and what's going to happen and the world seems so big and it's crashing around, down around you and you can just trust that in the nick of time, God is always ahead and he will lead his children. Absolutely love it. We keep going and it continues to be about speaking. Verse 13 the wise men take off, probably the very night. They probably got there. I mean, because Herod's only five miles away. This will have been bang, bang, bang. Things are happening quickly. They worship him. They go to bed. Most likely it's that very night. They're warned. They're gone in the night. And uh, as soon as they depart, so is this the next day? Is this the very next night? It's going to be very quickly. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And again, the voice of God. First to the wise men, and then just in the nick of time, to Joseph and Mary. And with the wise men, you know, it's interesting to me, sometimes when God speaks, to the wise men, he just says, get up and go. And geographically, uh, how they got home, we know that there are several different routes they could have taken. God doesn't specify. It's just get up and go. Sometimes when God speaks to us, it's just... It's just giver. It doesn't really matter how you do it. If the voice of God is spoken, you just go bang down the door, you do it. But with Joseph and Mary, it's also very specific. It's not just get up and go. It's very specific. Go to Egypt. And sometimes hearing the voice of God, people are, sometimes people, they, they miss this one up. You know, Joseph, the wise men didn't, you know, how to do a three-day fast and try and figure out, okay, God spoke to us. Now I need confirmation. Now I need to figure out exactly where God, we've got to do listening prayer and figure out where exactly you're sending us. They didn't, they didn't try to figure out the details. God said go. They just got up and go. went. It was just like Abraham. You know, in the Old Testament, God comes to Abraham. He says go. He doesn't tell him where to go. Just pack up your tents and start moving. And sometimes, sometimes when God's speaking to us, we actually dither because we're looking for more details than he wants to give us. And he's given us the go. He's given us the just do it. Now you've got to trust and you've got to start moving and he's going to lead you from there. But other times, other times it's different. He wants to give you specifics and sometimes you have to wait back and you've got to sit there and you've got to say, Lord, where, how, when, what's the option? Now, of course, you're sitting there and you're going. Some of you are, are, are a nervous sort and it's like, well, which one is it? Right? Which one which, give me the rule, give me the three-step plan to figure out, is this one where I got to wait for specific details, or is this one I just got to go, I just got to start moving? Well, and the answer to that is, again, there's no, there's no formula to this. You say, oh, I want a formula. Always we want formulas, right, to make it easy. But the thing is, it's a relationship. You have to know the Holy Spirit, and you have to have experiences with Him. I can't even tell you. I can tell you my experiences but you just have to start walking with him. you got to listen to him. you got to, and you know what? Sometimes you'll make mistakes. And you know what? It's actually fine to make mistakes. If you make mistakes trying to obey God, you'll always fall forward. Did you know that? If you make mistakes trying to obey God, that's not a bad mistake. He'll never be mad at you for trying to obey him. You'll always fall forward. And the more you experience him, so you just, sometimes you're going to go, I heard him. You're going to go ahead. Oh, I should have waited a bit. 
And Holy Spirit will give you a pat on the back. He'll say, oh, I love you, son. Oh, I love you, daughter. I love that you're just so eager to obey me. And then, but you're going to start to get a feel. When he's talking, you'll, you just start to get this feel. It's relationship. And you start to know. There's certain things he says. You just go. And there's certain things he says. And now I'm going to sit on this one. I need a bit of confirmation. I need some more specifics. It's just how it works. It's relationship. Anyway, we keep going here. Verse 14, and he rose, so Joseph and Mary, and of course the key in all this is, is obedience. Wise men, angel comes, they're gone. Okay? They come to Joseph and Mary, they up, and they're gone, right? And Joseph, that's he, rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Now, again, I want to just stop there and just try to enter into this story just a little bit emotionally because, again, so familiar. Of course they got up and left. What's the big deal? Whew, good thing God warned them. Now you just take off to Egypt, okay? I just want you to think for a moment, how would you feel? How would you feel? They didn't have Skype, okay? They didn't have cell phones, kind of like me, okay? Um, they didn't have internet, they didn't have email, okay? They didn't have time to go to all the different towns in Israel and say goodbye to family. Imagine that the Holy Spirit just speaks to you one night, pack up your bags, and... I don't know, go to fly to northern Finland and be there indefinitely, far away from anyone you know, and you don't have time to say goodbye, and you're leaving everything that's familiar to you, and you're leaving your house, you're leaving your job, you're leaving everything, and you don't know how long. Okay, you have no idea how long. In fact, the angel says, wait until I tell you to come back. Could be months. Now, in, the, in this event, it ended up being, scholars aren't sure, it could be anywhere from a few months to maybe two or three years. In this case, it didn't end up being super long, but for all they knew, they were moving away for 10 years, 5 years, longer. They had no idea. And you just have to pick up and move. And you know, the irony in this story is so thick when you just stop to, to think about it. Think about it. Throughout the Old Testament, we have promise after promise after promise of how the Messiah is going to save Israel and ultimately save the world. And here he is, only a few months old, running for his life out of Israel. I mean, the contrast in this story, the wild ups and downs, you know, one day you've got angels in the sky and singing hallelujah, and you've got shepherds coming to worship, and then another day you've got foreign, wealthy foreign dignitaries, the wise men from hundreds of miles away, in your house, worshiping the baby, you're in awe, wow, this is what it's like to have God's son in your house and raise him, and the next night you're leaving everything behind, scared out of your wits, and you're running for your life to Egypt. Two or three hundred miles probably. And where's the first class tickets, right? I mean, there's got to be some perks to having God's son, right? I mean, where's the fairy godmother with the coach and the white horses and the plush seats? I mean, if, if, if God's son is going to go south for the winter, then he should at least be going in style, right? No, 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 no. Where's the cherubim and the seraphim and the angels and whatever to carry them to Egypt? No, no. Most likely, Mary's on a donkey, two or three hundred miles, Joseph's hoofing it on foot. Those of you who are parents with kids, just think about going to Minneapolis with little kids in a minivan, okay? <laughs> now think about holding a little guy on a donkey for a couple hundred miles, okay? And Joseph's out, sweaty, dusty, scared, cold at night, hungry. I mean, just from high, wealthy people giving you gold and frankincense and myrrh and worshiping your baby, and the next moment, on the road, destitute, out of here. Guess what? The, the walk with God is a walk with some ups and downs. 
And you know, there's a lot of profound implications of this. I mean, you think about it. Um, I mean, again, this is God's son. Like I said, we know the story, but you would think in a moment, there's got to be some perks to this. No perks. Your life just got a whole lot more exciting, a whole lot more wild, a whole lot more scary. A few implications I just want to look at of this for just a moment. First of all, worship. What kind of a God would put himself through this? I mean, let's just look at any of the other major religions of the world and look at the gods that other human beings have made up for themselves. Who would ever think to make up a God like this? Who would, who would think to make up a God who would do this to himself? Who would come and take on human flesh and be a baby, be helpless, and trust himself to this young couple, and God the Father looking down this whole time and watching him go through this. I mean, the Christmas story is bathed in scandal. It's bathed in fear. It's bathed in blood, even, as we're going to see. I mean, what kind of a God would do this? We have to actually stop and just be in awe of this God who would actually enter into our pain in this way. Doesn't shield himself from anything. Doesn't shield himself from anything. I mean, sometimes we just have to, you just got to stop on the Christmas story and think about all the ways he could have done it. Think of the ways you would have done it if it was your kid and you were God. That he would do something like this. It's worship. We enter in, we say, Lord, you are nothing like we are. You're amazing. We love you. Secondly, the implications of this for service are absolutely huge. Serving Jesus isn't supposed to be glamorous. Serving Jesus isn't supposed to be glamorous. Now, of course, we all know that I say it. It's obvious. Lots of things I say are obvious. And we go, oh, of course. Serving Jesus isn't supposed to be uh, glamorous. It's not supposed to be glorious, yada, yada, yada. And yet the fact of the matter is many Christians today think that have a subconscious sense of entitlement. And it's true. I bet you many of us are touched by it that actually serving Jesus is supposed to be a bit glamorous. And you know how I know? I know because we get upset the moment it's not glamorous. Isn't that true? How many of us get upset? I've been serving the Lord and nobody said thank you yet. You ever been there? No, you've never been there. But someone you know has probably been there, right? No, I'm just serving Jesus. It doesn't matter to me. But actually, I'm upset inside because nobody's noticed. And it's a subconscious sense of entitlement. You talk to people, they used to be on fire for God. They were serving Jesus. They were all out ministering for the kingdom. And, uh, and now it's nothing. They're not involved at all. Their whole life is spent on themselves. Hey, what happened? Well, things got stressful. It was, it was hard work. Oh, you thought that serving Jesus wouldn't be hard work. You thought that serving Jesus, see, we have a sense of entitlement. You thought that if you said yes to Jesus, he would give you this big ministry, and it would just be, whew, easy. <laughs> I just feel happy, happy, happy all the time. All the time, the Holy Spirit just... Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Why'd you quit ministry? Oh, some other Christians opposed me, got mad at me, mistreated me. I'm bitter, I'm hurt. Well, okay, they legitimately did some things to you. But you thought serving Jesus meant that wouldn't happen to you. See, we have a subconscious thought, if I say yes to Jesus, he's going to make everything fall into place. If he tells me to go and witness to someone, oh, there's, it's, Woo! Things are just going to fall in place and everybody's going to love it and be happy with me. That is not at all the reality we find either in Christian history. I mean, 
I challenge you to go back and look at any biography of any of the great men or women of faith throughout church history and find me one who didn't go through seasons of deep stress. Seasons. Some of them, seasons of deep depression. Seasons where the burden was heavy. Seasons where the load was hard. Where things looked black. Find me one hero of the faith who wasn't at times opposed by petty, mean Christians. Who didn't find ministry at times to be thankless. And then we look at the Christmas story and what do we find? They said yes to Jesus. You would think saying yes to Jesus means, wow, every day of the rest of my life is going to be filled with joy, happiness, and peace. Well, amen. You get a lot of those. But it's also filled with one moment, yes, God is in this, next moment, on the run, afraid for their lives, high stress, and no perks. That's walking with Jesus. When God gives you a calling, if it's worth anything at all, you can bet that there's going to be a lot of hard work that goes into it. You can bet there's going to be seasons of stress and stretching. You can bet on some sleepless nights somewhere down the road and some times of hurt and pain and offense. And I can tell you this with authority, not just because of the Christmas story, but even look at what the Apostle Paul himself went through. And I could show you a whole bunch of passages from him. I've been taking comfort from him recently. But 2 Corinthians, he says this about one ministry trip, and I could show you other ones. He had a lot of bad ones. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, signing up for ministry is not like signing up for a trip to Disneyland. Okay? I've never been to Disneyland, but I'm pretty sure it's not like that. I don't, I'm pretty sure you don't come out of that writing 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 to 9. Okay? And of course, I'm not, I don't exaggerate here. I don't worry about, oh, great Christmas message, Chris. Yeah, like just heavy, dark. No, it's not all heavy and dark. Obviously, one of the things that sets us apart is joy. And you will experience joy in the Lord. Amen, absolutely, totally. But here's the thing you have to realize. A lot of Christians have this over-spiritualization that you're only close to God and you are only in a place of spiritual maturity when you are feeling joy. Always you should feel joy. At all times you should feel joy. And you know that that is, it's an over-spiritualization and it's patently false. When you follow Jesus, he will take you up on mountains and he will take you down through valleys. And in fact, the truth of the matter is you can't get to the mountaintops without going through the valleys. Because there are things you can't learn about Jesus when you are happy. Did you know that? There are places you can't go with Jesus when you're happy. There are things you can only find out about Jesus when you're sad. There are things you can only find out about Jesus when you are anxious. There are, things you, there are some things you can only find out. You can't find him out to be your protector and your rock unless you're desperate for a protector and a rock. 
And so in order to climb Mount Joy with Jesus, in order to climb Mount Fruitfulness with the Holy Spirit, he's got to take you through some valleys where you encounter him at a precious, deep, intimate way, and out of that you climb mountains. Now, the problem with a lot of Christians, though, is, this is why I talk about a sense of entitlement, is we quit. We go into the valleys and we quit because I didn't sign up for this. I shouldn't be feeling stressed. If I'm stressed, so I'm, then I'm out. I'm not doing this ministry anymore. I'm not serving God anymore because it was stressful for me. It made me anxious. It made me fearful. It made me sad. It made me hurt. So I quit. But the thing is, it's right then you quit. Sure, by quitting you avoid the valley, but by quitting you also miss the mountain. And you also don't get to experience some of the victories and the thrilling joys of really knowing Jesus and seeing him. You know, there's something about being taken out of a valley that is just, if, he ta- if you're not in the valley, he can't take you out of the valley. There's just something exhilarating about being taken out of a valley. And I know a lot of you know what I mean. That if you don't go in the valley, he can't rescue you. So we need to get rid of this over-spiritualization that some people have that Christians are always supposed to feel happy 100% of the time. We should have a lot of joy in our lives over time as we look back over our lives. Joy should definitely be, it will be a testimony the Holy Spirit brings to your life. But within that testimony, we can see ups and downs. You know, as many of you know, and I've shared this before, but over, I've had a couple of times over the years where I've struggled with severe anxiety attacks. And some of you go, oh, there, here goes Chris again, right? So he's, he's kind of high strung. He's a nervous sort, okay? You know, if, if, I mean, if you knew me growing up, you've asked my mom. Her biggest thing growing up was, when I was growing up, was she thought I didn't feel anything, okay? I think she, she tells a story, and it's an exaggeration, I'm sure. I'm sure I was mad more than once, but she says she only remembers me ever being mad once, okay? I was just one of these kids who was happy, 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 and I took on this identity, which was happy means strong. You don't show weakness. Happy sh- means healthy. If I'm always just happy, 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 and I never feel anything else, everybody says, he's just emotionally strong, okay? But really, actually, when you're just happy, 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 happy all the time, it actually shows that there's probably something going on underneath that you're absolutely avoiding and shutting off. And so, you know, and so, so God's taken me through some stuff, shocked me. The first set of panic attacks I went through, I'm like, this isn't me. I don't get these. I was ashamed of them. I don't get these. I'm bigger than that. I'm healthier than that. I'm a happy guy. I have a, I have a happy upbringing. I'm not worried about stuff. That's weak. And no, then God showed me, actually, did you know, your sanity is a gift for me. See, some of us, we look down on people with mental illness or people who have to take pills, stuff like that. We look down on them. Some of us do that. I used to. I wouldn't have said it, but you would feel it. That those people are weak, not me. I don't, get, I don't worry about so I don't get anything. You know what? Everything we have hangs from a thread. It's all in God's hands. He snaps his fingers and we all lose our marbles. <laughs> I know it. I thank God every day. I thank him for my sanity. Thank you, Jesus, that I can even function today. I know, because I, and I've gone through a couple of those things. Well, so I've been through a couple of those seasons, and then one time recently, I was praying to God, and God just had me on this journey, and I, and I, and I just conceived so clearly. One Saturday night, I'm in a prayer room. I finished doing message prep. I'm going to head home for the evening, and, and I said to, the, said to God, and I wasn't thinking about anxiety or anything. I had long been out of them, and I just said to the Lord, I said, God, help me to feel, because I, 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 I want to grow in feeling love for you. Like, I want to feel thankful, and I had a whole list that day of stuff to be thankful for that God's done in my life. And it was just sort of bland. And I said, God, I look at this list, and I should be rejoicing. 
Like I should just be out of my mind, happy with joy because of what you're doing in my life. And I just couldn't feel happy. I was just kind of, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you. And I said, that's not appropriate. I'm not satisfied to just be thank you, God, for stuff that should be thank you, God. So at the end of my prayer time, I asked God this. I said, God, help me to feel. And I said it again. Help me to feel. Now, as many of you know, sometimes you pray prayers. There's usually no bells and whistles. It's not like, pew, pew, pew. You got it. It's kind of quiet. Okay. Bike home, supper. Just before I go inside again, I pray it one more time. I said, God, help me to feel. And I probably forgot about it. Next morning I woke up, like a stab through the heart. Adrenaline released, cold sweat. I have a panic attack out of nowhere. I'm still not thinking about what I prayed the night before. Where did that come from? Quickly shove that down. I don't want those anymore. I've had those. God, you taught me everything I needed to know. Don't need to go through that valley anymore. Let's keep going. Still good. I'm all good. Next morning, I wake up early in the morning. Oh, curled up on the couch. See, some of you know what this is like. Some of you have no idea. Some of you know what this is like. Some of you have different struggles. You know what those struggles are like. I just woke up early in the morning, and it was a day off. I was supposed to be able to sleep in. Ladon and I like to sleep till 6.30 or 7 on Mondays. And, uh, I mean, when you have four kids, things change, right? So here I am on a Monday. I'm up at 5, and I'm curled up on a couch, and it feels like the whole world is crashing in around me. And I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know what I'm scared of. All I can feel is just my whole stomach is just knotted. It's just my chest hurts. My whole body is just convulsed with this thing. And, and for those of you who've been through something like that, it is dark. It's dark. It's like a bowl. And you try everything, right? I'm a pastor. I'm a healthy guy. I always give people advice. I've been apologizing to my wife lately. All the advice I've given her over the years. So I went through all the advice that I give to people. Oh, yeah. quote some scripture. Curl up on a couch in the dark. Just quoting scripture. I'm going through all my list of thankfulness and nothing is working. And you know, by the way, it's not bad to give little bits of advice here and there. For little problems, you know, little practical advice can sometimes help. But you know, for a lot of big problems, for a lot of big problems, you just got to have God intervene. And so I'm just calling out to God, calling out to God. Finally, after, you know, hour and a half, two hours, thing passes, horrible. I spend the rest of the day afraid of having another one. Next day comes, I have another one, real bad. And now I'm crying out to God. I got some people to pray for me. I'm crying out to God. I'm like, Lord, what on earth? Where did this come from? Like, am I sinning? Where did I mess up? What am I thinking wrong? Am I not being thankful? Like a video. Saturday night, Lord, help me to feel. I could just see myself asking him. Not this! That's not what I want to feel. I want to feel happy. I don't want to feel like I'm losing my sanity. I want to feel happy. And then it was just so profound. You know, just the thoughts. When you, the thing is, when you're not desperate, sometimes it's hard to hear God's voice. But when you're desperate sometimes, he can just speak so crystal clear. And he said, I know, I know. He said, but you can't feel some of those feelings until you meet with me in some of these feelings. And he showed me a picture, this river of stuff that a lot of us healthy people on outside, we just put a trap door on it, and the reason we look so healthy 
put a trap door on this stuff, and we just don't let ourselves feel it. We don't even think of it being there. But he showed me this level of junk, this level of stress and anxiety that I just carry with me all the time underneath my happy, happy, happy that I carry with me. And he showed me a trap door that I just, that I push down all the time. And he said to me there, he said, can I open it? And I mean, now at this point, I mean, when you're in pain, it's just like, oh, anything, get me out of this. He said, I'll go in there with you. I'll do anything you want. I just get just something. And he opened a trap door. I went and and he just went in there. And you know, in that moment, I felt trust for him. I felt dependency on him. Like we talk about depending on Jesus, but until you're in a valley and you feel like you're, it's all over, you, you don't really know what it means to depend. In that moment, I said, you can have it all. I'll open a trap door. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'll just depend on you. If that's what you want, I'll depend on you. In that moment, I felt dependency on him. I felt trust for him like, like never. And I said, God, if the cost, if the cost of feeling this for you, if the cost of depending on you is a panic attack, I'll pay it every time because it's worth it. Hey, that's exactly what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 1, at the end of that passage there, 2 Corinthians 1, 9, he says why he had to go through that stress that was so bad it made him think he was going to die. He said, why do I have to go through that? It has, it's not always happy, happy, happy. Why did we have to go through that? The stress was so bad, I felt it was going to fall apart, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead who raises the dead. See, sometimes God's got to take you, and the Christmas story is all of that, is it not? All of that. We got the highs, and then we got the whoo, just screaming down into the lows. But it's in those lows that you learn to rely on God. And then you go into that valley, and you meet him there in that dark, dark, low, low place. And you experience them at a level you never experienced when you were up here, and you wouldn't go back. Because he's that wonderful and he's that amazing. God's not in the pain avoidance. When you sign up to serve God and follow God, he does not promise to make your life easier or pain-free. In fact, God is most usually found in the midst of pain. And that's exactly what we see in the Christmas story. It's upheaval. Here comes Jesus, and it's upheaval. Upheaval, upheaval. People are mad. People are upset. Some are worshiping. Some are trying to kill. We move to the next part of the story, and it just gets worse. Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. And you say, what an awful story. This is the Christmas story. And the Christmas story does not gloss over the wicked depravity and just pain and suffering that are on planet Earth. The Christmas story does not gloss over it. Okay? Jesus did not come to earth to gloss over the problems. He came, and he also didn't cause the problems. His coming to earth is like shining the light into a dark place, only exposed how bad the problems were. Jesus coming to earth did not cause Herod to do this. It exposed the evil wickedness that was in Herod's heart. 
So Jesus came to earth and he didn't shield himself. And we can take great comfort in this, that he did not shield himself from human depravity. He can empathize us with us in our, in our weaknesses and in our hurts. You say, oh, the cynic says, oh yeah, well, he can empathize with us. God rescued him. God talked to Mary and Joseph and told them to get out. He didn't talk to the other moms of, son, of two-year-old and younger sons in Bethlehem. When you're right, it sure seems like God got his son out just in the nick of time and let everyone else suffer but not him. But actually, if we look at the whole story, we realize the exact opposite. God saved his son in this case only so that 33 years later, he could be nailed to a cross by cruel Roman soldiers, right? He spared Mary having to mourn in agony over a murdered son here, but only so that 33 years later she could stand at the foot of the cross and mourn her son there. See, he is the God who feels our pain. He came to earth to ultimately set in, in, in motion the plan which will rid the earth of evil. And he is coming someday soon, and we sang a little bit about it before, and I look forward to that day. Oh, more and more I look forward to it because in many ways I'm just sick of some of the things I am. I'm sick of the things that go on around us in the world and there is an end coming to it all when he'll wipe away every tear and we will live with joy forevermore. But in the meantime, climbing Mount Joy with Jesus means going through valleys but every time you're in a valley, you can rest in this fact He'll never put you through anything worse than he was willing to go through himself. He knows what it's like to bear the brunt of stress, of anger, of rage, of murder, of hate. He knows what it's like to feel the brunt of all of Satan's forces. You know, sometimes you think, boy, I'm just getting attacked. I feel spiritual attack. This, he was under spiritual attack from all of Satan's forces his entire life. He knows what it's like to feel the brunt, and he will meet with you in your valleys if you will let him. And so before we sing our final song, I want you just to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want to just ask you today, this Christmas, what disappointments and hurts and fears and pains are you carrying with you today? Some of you, you, you have done a lot like I've done much of my life. You just hide this stuff. You don't you even hide it from yourself. You think you got nothing. But I pray that the Holy Spirit will even reveal to you what you're hiding because I'll, I'll tell you something right now. None of us is 100% whole yet. We won't be till the resurrection. So what disappointments, what hurts, or what bitterness, or what pain... Are you carrying with you this Christmas? And we just need to bring those things to Jesus, and I pray that this week you're going to do a lot more than just family gatherings and eating, but you will, in your prayer times, take some of these things that are deep down that you've maybe shut the trap door on and you haven't allowed yourself to feel, and that you'll go into those most intimate places with Jesus and let him touch you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in all things you're sovereign. Even when we go through a valley, it's because you're taking us through the valley. We're never alone. I thank you that you meet us in the midst of our pain. Lord, I pray disappointment. Lord, I think there are some people here who have had some bitter disappointments and bitter hurts. This week, Jesus, some of them, they've just calloused it over. They've locked that door. They don't go there anymore because they don't like to feel that. 
Lord Jesus, I pray that you would show them this week in prayer that they can go into those locked rooms with you and they can present those things to you. And Lord, by going into the valleys with you, Jesus, we can also climb Mount Joy with you and that's what we all really want. We desire you, you to come back soon and quickly to rescue us. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.